question that has to do with that. Uh, the first question is, I'm a father of a four and a half year old autistic son and I want to know if it's helpful for me to come to CARD from Pakistan mm-hmm. uh, and how much it will cost for me. So I, you know, I, there's a lot of things that are entailed in that, including plane tickets. And mm-hmm. uh, I know we would have no idea, but um, can you speak to the fact that somebody sure. can bring their child in? Yeah, and this would be, I mean, we have a lot of families that do come in just for an evaluation and they come in from all over the world. Yeah. So um, if I'm not quite sure what this family wants, but so I'll talk a little bit about all the different things that we can do for families who are far from us. Okay. So yes, if you bring your child in, um, of course you'd want to um, schedule something with me first. And that would be several months ahead. My schedule is pretty packed. But like, for instance, if you were to contact um, CARD today, which you'd be contacting the CARD headquarters and asking for an appointment with Dr. Grandpichet, then you would be directed to um, Kathy Visconti. And she would then uh, probably give you <clears throat> work with your schedule since you're uh, in Pakistan and try to get you in around... Um, like between the end of this now and the end of the year sometime this year and then um, you come in and uh, depending on what your child we would do a bunch of questions on the phone first send you some information that you'd fill out so we'd get a pretty detailed idea of what your needs are what your child's needs are so for instance if your child hasn't been assessed ever or in the last year um, we'd set it up so that when you're here, you'll not only get to meet with me, um, but I, you'll have a series of testing done at, at our assessment clinic so that by, before you leave, I actually have the opportunity to review the testing with you and tell you sort of this is what this shows and this is what we need to do and so on. We'd also have you complete skills ahead of time so that we have that profile of your child. So we'd have a lot of uh, a lot of the ability I guess to review your child with you while you're here and it might be we might ask you to be here for two to three days Um, and that would be the evaluation and then we would produce a report from it for you and uh, then uh, you know okay so then the treatment aspect Um, even right now I mean if you come to card I personally can assess you but you don't need to come to card we do have kids all over the world, and we have what we call you know, remote services supervisors, supervisors who travel to help families such as this family. And um, the process for remote services is that a, a therapist will come to you, or I'm sorry, a supervisor will come to you, and then they'll evaluate your child and assess. It's a different type of evaluation. It's more of a functional behavior assessment and a little bit of like an indirect assessment because they won't be able to do testing. And and, um, obviously we will definitely do the skills index or the assessment. So you'll get all of that in the evaluation. And then you will get um, a program. And the supervisor, let's say, would stay for three days, four days. And they will then um, either assist you in hiring people around you so uh, students or other you know in let's say on in the uh, Asia most of the people that we hire are for instance um, people who have immigrated in from the Philippines mm-hmm. or there are um, you know nurses that are looking for work or teachers that are looking for work uh, I would imagine that in Pakistan 
we'd probably be looking for nurses, teachers, or um, college students, university mm -hmm. students. And then we would, you would hire them, or we can also hire them, mm -hmm. but regardless, um, we train them, mm -hmm. and um, we oversee the overall program, and we place everything in your home, and we uh, sort of the program, the log books, everything, we set your home up just like we would if you were here. And then the supervisor uh, connects with you on a weekly or bi-weekly basis through um, webcam, mm -hmm. like Skype, and then also flies back to see you uh, approximately anything between one to three months, every one to three months, depending on your child's needs. Um, and we continue to train and oversee the group of people working with your child. So that's what we call remote services. In the past, we used to call it workshops. Mm -hmm. um, now, th that's one option of getting our help. And we do this everywhere. In fact, a few days ago, I, we're just about to start an affiliate. In fact, I'll talk about affiliates as well, because uh -huh. when we start doing this in a particular location, like we, when we started in South Africa or, or Thailand or so on, um, the number of families grows pretty fast, Shannon, and mm -hmm. once it gets to a certain number, it becomes feasible. Uh, w one of the families usually says, this is fabulous, I want to help spread this in my country. Right. right. And so we had this experience now in South Africa, in, in um, United Arab Emirates, mm -hmm. in Thailand, in Ghana, in uh, Zimbabwe, it's just, and, and the families will kind of take ownership of a school or a clinic or they'll say, I'm going to be the, the sort of, it's like a franchise model. Right. So um, they'll essentially do uh, sign up with card and then we will take responsibility for training their entire school or their entire clinic over the course of the next three to four years. And they call themselves, for instance, our South Africa affiliate, as you know, is called Stars Academy, a card affiliate. Yeah. And so they follow all of our training. In fact, we've now not only trained their therapists, but their therapists have now gotten to the point where we've trained supervisors for them. So they have a whole batch of their own supervisors and staff. And we help them with the management. We fly, we still have, I think, three supervisors flying out there pretty regularly and assisting with everything and um, overseeing everything for them. But I mean, we're ready to fade whenever they want, but they sort of want us to hang around. And their quality is spectacular, it's fantastic. They have everything, our same evaluation process, everything we do at CARD. And um, they've now opened um, three more centers, so and they're completely packed and um, doing very well and helping a lot of families in South Africa. So that's sort of what we do if, if it's a family who's interested in doing that in, in, in your own country. Otherwise, of course, you can move here, yeah. and then we would guide you on the phone and help you to decide where to move, and we're very happy to do that as well. And um, get you funding and all that sort of stuff. But that tends to be a little bit harder, especially because of visas and yeah. residence and all that sort of stuff. But it, there's many ways we can help you. And I mean, having said that, it's a long answer. I hope it'll help other people yeah, exactly. internationally as well. 
But uh, another thing is that you can just do the evaluation or assessment with us and then you can continue your program using skills. Yeah. And that's what skills was intended for, of course. And it's uh, an online program that uh, uh, gives you the curriculum and program and tells you how to move forward. And I have to say, you know, having said all that, that you know, one of the greatest things is that you've given people options. That there right. are so many right. different options so that you can find a thing that works for you and your family wherever right. it is that you want to be. And, you know, I, I love that people have access to you. They have a little bit longer wait to have sure, access sure. to you. But I also want to let everybody know that when I started at CARD and my son came in, I didn't I didn't have a meeting we with Dr. Grampuche. Yeah. Um, but I had the benefit of every, you know, one of the biggest compliments I have to you beyond the, beyond the fact that you're brilliant and you are a visionary in the field of autism you. is that you are able to convey that mission and train people who follow in your footsteps who provide the quality that you would provide. And that is amazing. I hope so. God, I hope so. Because I, I it's, am it's, a living, breathing right, benefit right, of that. Right, I experienced right, that. Right. And who did your intake? Sienna. Evelyn or Sienna? Sienna. No. Okay, I'm glad to see. But then that's that is like one of the and Sienna, of course, right now is in charge of our quality assurance department. Like uh -huh. she run, she evaluates all the supervisors. Right. So people here at Card who are good do continue to move up yes. and do become. Um, you know, they really do represent my dreams and hopes and missions. But Absolutely. it's hard because you know, Shannon, we now we're. We have a huge staff, you know, yes. we're past 1,500 now, and we, I think by the end of the summer or by the end of this year, we'll, we'll be around 200 board certified staff, you know, so it's kind of crazy amount of supervisors. And I just hope that they are really, it's hard to get them to like think the way I think. But you do a it's really, hard. I see that you worry about that and you do a very good job of that. Yeah, and I would say I to people, so. if you do the remote services, uh, you know, those are rock star people. Those are people yeah. who fly around the world That's and true. they are rock That's stars. That, you know, That's true. John, John Yali, uh, who's Peter in charge Farrig, of... And Peter Farrig, I mean, these, and Sarah, uh, Sue Cho, these Sue, are yeah. rock star right, therapists right. who go and supervise these things. Right. Uh, they are the creme de la creme. They're uh, awesome. And like, and their view, um, all of the ones you just mentioned have mm. been here, good Lord, many, many years. Yeah. Many, many years. Yes. And, and there's many others like that as well. But I was shocked because a few days ago, you know, John Yali runs our um, remote services. He's mm -hmm. the director. And uh, a few days ago, he asked me, he said, I need someone else for th South Africa because one of our other supervisors, Sarah Niehoff, who flies from Thailand to South Africa, uh -huh. um, is getting super busy in Thailand, right? Because uh -huh. we're about to open an affiliate in Bangkok. And um, I said, sure, that's fine. And... Um, I put out a notice to internal supervisors and I couldn't believe the response. Like yeah. we got Everybody so many people yeah. that were just like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to do it. And there's, and, and I just, it made me realize that we really have a very large number of uh, yeah. board certified supervisors. It's crazy. It's exciting. Yeah, so, it's so just know that, uh, you know, when, when you're looking at, at all these different models, don't think of it as something that gets further and further removed because I see your hand and your so. vision I in all so. of those places. I hope so. And it's hard to replicate when you go this, when you, there, it gets to this size. Yeah. Um, but something else that I hope will help is, you know, 
this year, Johnson Tarbox, as you know, Johnson mm -hmm. and I are um, writing the card book. Yes. And so, God willing, it'll be, we have to, but we have to work under contract with Elsevier. So we have to finish it this year. Yeah. And when it's done, um, it should be out next year. And I'm really looking forward to that as well because that will, oh, God willing, um, you know, really represent what it is that I want to say to the world. Yeah. So we'll see. Well, hopefully that'll and work. And it will live on in many different formats. That's yeah. you're, you're leaving a legacy, and that's an incredible thing. And uh, as a parent, I appreciate that. Thank you. We should take a quick break and come back with more of your questions. And uh, always remember, if you need a follow-up, make sure that you do. We, uh, Dr. Grandpache appreciates it when you send a follow-up if you have further questions. And we will continue to ask those. So stick with us. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Doreen. I just want to uh, thank, we had somebody who said, wow, thanks Dr. Doreen and Shannon for sharing the information about remote services. I am a skills mom from oh, India great. and it is great to hear about the many possibilities. I always wondered if remote services were as effective as the regular supervision and your answer cleared that up. Thank you so much. That's great. Thank you for writing in and uh, we love that you're using skills. And, and for the mom from India, we have a number of families in India. I'm not sure if you're all in the same location, but we should try to connect all the families out there because we could do an affiliate there, there you know? go. and so it would be important to gather people. So I think uh, if you want, just send in your information to Shannon, and then I'll get that and relay it to John Galley, who will have uh, okay. emails of other families. Fabulous. Okay, uh, moving on. We've got a couple of different questions about that relate to uh, being appropriate. One here who says, how do I keep my three-and-a-half-year-old from stripping down to his nakedness? <laughs> we are potty training, too, and he insists on stripping to go to the bathroom, too. Teacher said he attempted to strip four times at school yesterday. Mm -hmm. Yow. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a chaining procedure, um, so it's not a big deal. I mean, we can do it as behaviorists, mm -hmm. but I would say... I guess you you should start by putting on uh, putting clothes on him that are very difficult for him to take off, like for instance overalls or things that actually he can't remove okay. that easily, and then you need to block it. So someone has to be there to prevent him from even starting, and just do what's called a um, you, you'll be reinforcing on a schedule of just keeping it on. Okay. So it's it's almost it's not really non-contingent reinforcement because it's contingent on keeping it on. So it's just sort of timed. It'll be a variable interval schedule. And so um, every two minutes, you give him a reward and just say, good job keeping your clothes on. Okay. Then five minutes, then 10 minutes and so on. And uh, then gradually you'll change from, let's say, overalls to something else. And you'll just make sure that it it generalizes so that's not a difficult thing I'm guessing that he started doing that when when you started potty training yeah perhaps uh, now what will happen of course is that when he goes to the bathroom someone has to be with him as well and right. not allow him to undress but actually just pull down right and then stop and do his thing and then get his reward and we would reinforce for keeping what needs to stay on stay on, on. Yeah. exactly okay I mean it's like any other thing you reinforce the desire 
desired behavior and you disallow or you know in this case you just would block the yeah. undesired behavior okay and that's a pretty straightforward thing okay and and then in a semi-related question uh, a slightly older child dr. Doreen my son eight touches his private parts a lot mm -hmm. I have asked him why and he says quote-unquote uh, that parts get stuck to other parts <laughs> uh, which is pretty eloquent right <laughs> that's awesome um, how do I get him not to touch himself so much in public thank you for all you do right my my pleasure. Uh, so that's actually a pretty interesting answer and we always want to, I, I think you never want to ignore what your kids say and mm -hmm. so he might be actually either sweaty in which case things are sticking to each other and making him uncomfortable Okay. Uh, and you might want to check that and if that's the case okay. there you just put some baby powder or show him how to put baby powder on okay. so that it's not sticky and uncomfortable <laughs> right? uh, quite honestly. Right? Um, and you want to make sure also that his underwear is comfortable and all that sort of stuff. And also, you know, sometimes there are rashes and we okay. don't investigate and you, you want to make sure that none of that is happening. Of course, that is happening. You want to go see the pediatrician and get right. that taken care of. But otherwise, to answer your question, you know, touching your private parts or masturbation is, is a very typical developmental thing especially with a, a physical thing that happens with children typical children mm -hmm. um, boys especially with boys and so I what we tend to do is we allow it in private we mm -hmm. teach our child that you can do this at night when no one's in your room but otherwise you're not touching yourself. And then that actually then at least allows the child to have a fair goal. And, you know, right. Shannon, I'm very um, all about not only teaching our kids exactly what's normal, like any other child would do, um, but also uh, making it fair. Yeah. All right, so I don't want to take away something and the truth is masturbation is a huge reinforcer sure so I can't take away a huge reinforcer unless I'm uh, allowing it at certain points right so what you do is you just put it on a schedule essentially and and you can uh, when the child does it you will stop the child and say no and then you will actually allow it at night and sure. you want your child to be able to differentiate that if they stop now they can res do this at night right. because and then that will make it much easier Easier for the child now you know I'm, I'm just describing this in very regular lay terminology but there's very specific procedures like you would really block the behavior by preventing it you would want to make sure that your child um, has some understanding of, of what the evening yeah. whether it's like uh, you know you remind the child this is okay now to do it be just before you leave his room okay or you have a picture that depicts the evening t bedtime or whatever it is but you do want to make sure that your child has private time yeah. that he can do whatever as long as uh, you know otherwise he's healthy yeah and that's the big difference it's a matter of and you know if you want to make it really simple again I don't know the functioning level of the child but if you want to make it simple the difference between private and public is you're alone in your room right versus are there people around if there are people around if you're not in your room or even if you are in your room and there's people around you're not private yeah private is when you're alone
Interesting. Very interesting. We have these kinds of discussions at home all the time because, right. you know, I've got a boy and right. he's of a certain age and, uh, and and he's moved into this phase in the last year where he tells sure. me all the time that I'm doing things that embarrass him. I breathe and he says, Mom, it's embarrassing to me. Right, right. Right. And so recently I had a discussion with him about, you know, there are things that you do behind your door and that you don't do in front of me because it embarrasses me. Right. And I saw the light bulb go off then because he's all the time telling me he's embarrassed and it, I don't think it had occurred to him. I don't know that I had talked to him about the fact that I too can get embarrassed. Right, right, right. And, and I saw him go, oh, okay, interesting. And that hadn't even occurred to me. Interesting, actually, because embarrassment is one of those things that is a real strong sign of recovering. Really? Because normally you don't have embarrassment unless you're really good at seeing other people's perspectives. Mm -hmm. Because embarrassment is all about what are they going to think of me? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of interesting. I hadn't thought about that. A reason to celebrate. Oh, yeah. There's always these silver linings and things that happen. I always I, look for it. I look yeah. for things like, oh, he's getting embarrassed. Oh, he's That's pretty like, cool. Almost everything I do embarrasses yeah. him. <laughs> That's say, very so typical. If, if I go to school and it's been a windy day and my hair is a little bit longer and he'll say, Mom, you can't go to school like that. My friends say you have crazy hair and it looks bad. And I, and I asked one of the friends. They never said that. That was just him saying it's what, you know, because he It's was, what they're going to prove. Yes, it's so yeah. amazing, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a very My good son thing. also, like, he's very selective about who gets to take him or drop him oh, off really? or pick him up or, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay, so it's a good thing. Okay, uh, let's take another short break, and then we're going to be back with more of your questions with Dr. Doreen. Stick with us. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm looking at questions that you guys sent in on Facebook this morning. Uh, somebody wants to know, how do you get a child with autism to try any kind of new food? I've tried everything. I'm exhausted and feel defeated. I'm so worried that he will never, ever try something and will survive only on pancakes, waffles, baked chicken meat, and chicken nuggets. I'm sending you an error hug because we've all been there haven't we <laughs> yes uh, of course but it's actually not that hard it's a pretty easy procedure okay. and, and it's a hundred percent successful all right so let's start with that it is feeding is something we don't fail at okay it's through ABA um, you essentially you will use his current foods as reinforcers okay and his the food you want to introduce as something you assume it's something he just doesn't like so you start with a tiny morsel of the food he doesn't that you want to teach him to eat and then a large amount of something he likes let's say so let's say you want to get him to eat broccoli so you start with a literally a tiny morsel of broccoli like a half a teaspoon okay and he would then take that and then he can have his plate of pancakes otherwise he can't have pancakes okay that's very simple then once he's really easy with that and fluent and that's happening could take a day two days could be a week whatever um, then you will increase the amount to a spoon and um, before you know it you can gradually increase it to let's say you know a whole piece of broccoli and then two and then I would just take it easy and leave that and then you'll see that that will add into his generalized foods it won't be his favorite but it'll be there he'll take right. it when it's on his plate now you know and then you go with other foods okay. and we have kids that come in Shannon who won't even put anything in their mouth they're on a g-tube you know right. and so they are not chewing they're not swallowing and they won't take anything at all unless it's liquid mm -hmm. even in some cases not even you know water 
So we will start with the smallest amount, but then also with like very, very little texture, consistency and so on. So we'll often start by with just a speck, like those decorating things on a cake right. and we'll gradually increase size. Some of our kids have chewing problems. Yours doesn't sound like because you're having pancakes and you're having chicken and so chicken the child's nuggets, yeah. chewing and swallowing. So you're in pretty good shape. Um, and it's just a preference. That's all it is in your case. So this is going to be pretty easy. I would start by talking to a nutritionist and getting a bunch of, I mean, it, since it's going to be a little bit of a battle or it's going to take a while to integrate other foods, I would pick the ones that are the most nutritionally important. Okay. So, you know, right now you have your proteins and so what you're probably going for is fruits and vegetables, I'm guessing, because you didn't name any fruits or vegetables. Pick the ones that kids usually like. Yeah. Like vegetables, we're talking peas and carrots. Right. Typically corn. Now, although you, a lot of our kids have allergies to corn. Yeah. And then in terms of fruits, uh, there's such a huge variety. See yeah. what your child likes and see what they need. Some of our kids need uh, potassium, in which case you want to teach your child to eat bananas. Some right. of them need vitamins. You know, so it's, it's really about what your child's nutritional needs are. Um, fruits are usually not that hard to teach. Vegetables yeah. a little bit harder, but not really. Okay. And so you mentioned the word battle, because I want to go back to when you were saying about, you know, you're going to put that tiny, tiny, tiny amount on the plate and that they have to eat that before they can have the preferred food. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, what I picture is the child refusing and getting down off the chair and then the parent having to put them back on the chair and having it. And a oh, lot of times okay. parents would get into this discussion about you oh. have to do this and whatever. And, and I know I've heard you before say, don't right. let it turn into that kind of a no, battle. No. So can you, uh, tell us a little bit about how we lay so that we, out? Right. Did this parent say Facebook. the age? No. Okay. So I'm wondering if these videos are accessible to parents. I, I have a, several talks on feeding and, and I have a number of really amazing videos which we should probably try to get to some families. They're part okay. of these presentations. But, you know, if it's a younger child, you, you want to basically use a... Um, uh, a, a chair, you know, a okay. what high, chair. Call, high chair. Yeah. yeah, you want to use a high chair because it locks the child in. Right. So the escape thing is. So off they're the not table. able to escape. And if it's an older child where they don't fit into a high chair, I really still would make sure the child is sitting at a like. What, what I do is I'll put the chair in a corner, mm -hmm. and then I'll put the table in front of the child, and I'm sitting on this side. So essentially, the ends of the table block the child in. Okay. So the wall is preventing the child from running away. I you really don't want to engage in any kind. You need to be dominant. If you're teaching, you need to be dominant. Dominant but period. calm. Dominant, but hugely reinforcing and okay. calm. Yeah, okay, you cool. never, you know, one of the first things are, any therapist learns is the instruction that you give has to be neutral affect, completely <laughs> neutral affect, because if it's not, your reinforcer is not going to have any power and you're uh, aversive or, or when you don't give or when you're angry with a child, the child won't differentiate. If you're constantly yelling at a child, yeah. it's the same with any other kind of training. If you're constantly yelling at someone, they won't know the difference between that. They'll habituate to your yeah. yelling. They'll just habituate. It yeah. won't mean anything anymore. Exactly. It'll be your voice level. Right, right. So you don't yell. You simply just say, and you keep your instruction very uh, low as well. Essentially, it depends on the level of the child's functioning, but 
you know, the, the standard instruction is just take a bite. Yeah. Take a bite and then good job and here's your pancake. Right. And then gradually over time it's take a bite and you have a spoon of the thing. So in the spoon there's either a tiny amount or there's uh, a lot of in the spoon and or there's, uh, you know, you have to do three spoons of that. Um, but and then your reinforcer, which is the pancake, might start out with like a larger amount, but then as time goes on, the the new object increases and the reinforcer decreases. That's always the balance. So then you're just eating as you know, like you're eating broccoli, let's say, with the chicken nuggets. Yeah. And so that's essentially the process. It's not a if it turns in, it shouldn't turn into a fight. And the way you prevent that is by doing one trial and you walk away. Right. If it turns into a fight, that means you're demanding too much. And the reason I always tell parents not to turn it into a fight is because most of the time you lose. Right. You know, right. so you don't want to lose. So you just go as far as you're successful. Yeah. I, my son, and this is another key thing also, which has to do with the stuff that your child is eating. Uh, because sometimes chicken nuggets or whatever, the breading might be something he's allergic to. Sometimes our kids eat things they're allergic to and then they actually won't eat anything else because that shuts down their entire um, digestive system. My son, when he was really little, used to drink a lot, had just gotten into the habit of drinking chocolate milk, mm. which my mother used to give him. And when he had chocolate milk, I could tell because he'd have re these really dark rings and and he wouldn't eat anything else yeah. at all, all yeah. day. He could starve, he could, didn't care, he just yeah. didn't care. So it had gotten to the point where it wasn't even enough. I mean, I had started by just saying, if you're not gonna eat, you need to go to your room. Yeah. So, but that was not even aversive enough for him. So I, it had gotten to the point where I would give him nothing unless he had one spoon of rice or one piece of chicken or whatever and then gradually increase that. Yeah. So it's tough. It is I th tough. I think though it's a it's a real pivotal moment for parents when a therapist comes in and we you know, I, I so appreciate that you say I'm exhausted and I feel defeated this year. And um and then a therapist will come in and they'll put the piece of broccoli down and they'll very calmly say, Okay, eat that little tiny bit of broccoli and then you get the pancake and as the parent you say there and go as if that would work yeah as if that would work and then your child does it and you go what, what magic yeah. fairy dust did you sprinkle but i think part I of it know. is just being calm clear and definitive and not bringing other baggage and the fear that sometimes we bring as parents that we're there you know like i need you to eat this and we'll yeah. over talk it yeah and, and uh, the child usually at this point has figured out that if i don't do it with you mom yeah you'll forgive me and let yes. me get away with it right but but this is someone new and i want to impress this person right and so i'll do it yeah so it's kind of like there's all this other stuff going on <laughs> yes it's a lot easier and i have to say when we do feeding here at the centers mm -hmm. it's pretty fast yeah. I mean we get kids from zero to full normal diets very quickly within a few months so okay. it's not it's not something to fear at and all. And if somebody wants some help with that, they can call the card 800 number and, and be call the up card 800 number, okay. and then we will assign someone to do it. You know, we used to have a service called SOS, Specialized mm -hmm. Outpatient, and feeding was part of it. And um, all of our staff are so trained on doing feeding that we just do it. But it really still should be a separate service. So, you know, make sure if anybody at CARD says, oh, we discontinued doing feeding. Um, we didn't really. We actually have feeding experts here. It's just that all of our supervisors can do this now. 
Um, so, you know, insist and say, I said, we can do it for you. Okay. And we can, yeah. we'll set up a separate protocol. So we, in other words, what I'm saying is we don't have to be doing intensive work or other ABA. We could just focus on feeding. But you heard it. You can say Dr. Doreen yeah, said. Yeah. And in fact, I'll make sure that admissions knows this as okay. well in case you call. Another question here on the live feature. Hello, Dr. Doreen. I have a question for you. When do you know when a child is ready uh, for inclusion or what are the signs parents have to look toward, for to recognize and push the school to start doing inclusion? I know this is complex, but if you could give us some ideas of pointers for a kindergarten, first grade transition child. Yeah, that's a terrific question. You know, I have so many talks. I need to turn all these talks into some sort of video and just put them out there. Inclusion uh, is a very important subject so you know your child's in kindergarten already and now you're looking at first grade I when we do an inclusion well you asked about science science the only thing I really require is uh, for my child to go in is uh, the ability to pay attention most of the time to someone at a distance because the way we do inclusion is we start with you know, we do all our all our one-to-one -one at home mm -hmm. to begin with when our kids are two or three or something. And then by the time they're four or five and they're going into school, uh, we're already at a point where like the child's pretty much doing everything mm -hmm. for us and really competent. And one of the main requirements for school for me is some level of communication. Um, so if my child's not really vocalizing or behaving very normally um, amongst other peers in terms of communication, it right. could even be nonverbal communication, but um, there has to be a level of functioning where I don't want my child to go in there and feel left out or right. feel isolated. So I want my child to be able to just um, mix in and mm -hmm. follow very basic instructions from a teacher. Now the yeah. teacher is not the same as a therapist because our therapists are kind of one-to-one -one in your face right. and the teacher is at the end of the classroom. So we actually teach our kids that. We do yeah. that whole process. I mean, we call it mock preschool. So a therapist will actually have the child sit on the floor with like stuffed animals or other dolls or whatever and will sit at a table or a chair and pretend to be the teacher yeah. so that our child will learn to respond to someone who's further away or writing on a board. We teach our kids certain preparedness skills like look if you get lost look at what's on the board this is how you ask a question in yeah. school look at your, the kid next to you and see what they're doing. They're, we give them a lot of steps so our kids don't get lost. Right. Um, and those are really the main things. But I mean, when we do it, we integrate with a shadow usually. Right. So we'll have one of the therapists go to school with the child for certain periods of time, especially free time, free play time. Yeah. And then gradually the shadow will change and we'll have, you know, a, a shadow the child doesn't know. Right. Um, and then gradually we fade out. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the main things you would have a lot of thought on this because you went through it yeah I, you know I move slower than anybody else though I think I'm overly cautious I had just shared with Dr. Grandpache that today is Jem's first day of fifth grade and that I'm you know worried uh, well no I don't I don't know that worried is the right word although I that's sort of my part-time job that I worry about everything always sure. you know but um you, you know I'm having a lot of emotion about letting that leash be a little bit longer and and had lots of conversations with him about trusting and um but 
you know, I do think that giving them the space to see what they can do and giving them opportunities to fly. Along the way, you know, there might be a day where we had, because um, we went from having a card therapist being there to our card therapist training a mm -hmm. therapist who was going to be there to an unknown shadow. Mm -hmm. um, but along the way, there were days that stuff just happened, mm -hmm. like a day where, where the therapist couldn't come because they had a doctor's appointment or something, sure. and the person who was supposed to show up didn't show up. And and, and maybe it was a short period of time, like an hour that he had to be without a therapist, but he would demonstrate that he could. And and I, some of those yeah. were planned and some of them were just accidents, that, yeah. happy accidents that might have been planned to kind of force me as the reluctant mom to see that he could do so much more than he could. But I was so grateful that yeah. we moved slow because he demonstrated that he could do the schoolwork and that it wasn't just that we were throwing him in there, throwing him in the deep end of the pool and hoping he would swim. Right. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And you will always go at different yeah. speed. I mean, kids are very different. Some of our little girls can't wait to get into school, you know, yeah. so they fly. But it's not just about having the ability to fly. It's also about having the ability to make mistakes. Yes. And so, like, to fail. Because yes. one of the things we want our kids to do is learn by failure. Yeah. You know, but, and, if, and as also, a, a, you know, I've changed now. But I was also a very protective mom of my kids. Uh -huh. And it's hard. I mean, you want your kids to always be successful and always be happy. But um, you really also have to just let them learn from their own experiences and from their own mistakes. Yes. As absolutely. long as you're there to, to model the way to get out of the tr thing. Yeah. And I think keeping tabs on, on what's happening and, and being not not tied to a result, um, of an expectation just, of a result, yeah. but looking to see what's happening and adjusting. Yes, that's the most important thing, is just being involved in what's going on. Yeah. I heard somebody recently talking about the fact that when a plane takes off from Los Angeles to go to New York, uh, they have a, a, a map of where they're going to go, but then every 15 minutes they have to readjust, course oh, really? corrections, mm -hmm. and that life is like that. And, totally. And that really, you know, as a parent, I have to be, sometimes I want to be able to get it all taken care of so that I could maybe put it on autopilot, and I'm discovering there is no autopilot. Right. That I have to keep making That's course exactly corrections. Right. But I mean, and these are all just finding solutions to problems, yeah. right? Or issues that come up. Yeah. And at some point, we need to allow our kids to find those solutions yes. themselves. So like, for instance, in your case, yeah. you know, being concerned that he might get distracted walking from one end of campus to the other. Yes, is, this is what I was saying to right. her earlier, you know, that but he's... But what will happen if that happens? Uh, you know, eventually he'll wander back to the classroom because my son, when he goes to the restroom, gets a little disorganized sensory wise. Right. Uh, and so if he does that, he'll wander back to the classroom and the teacher will report to me that he was gone too long. And then exactly. I will offer him a reward for going and getting back within a certain amount of time. Okay. And or... Um, the teacher might even tell him, "Yeah, um, you're late, Jim, what happened, you know? Yeah. And if I know him, I think there's a level of importance to him to fit in. Yes. So he might even self-correct. Yeah, he, he might. might even correct that without That's requiring an additional reinforcer. He might yeah. just, the, the aversive oh, of being yeah. left out or the aversive of embarrassment yes. might cause yes. him to correct. So there, either way, it's just a longer path, but yeah. it will fix itself. See, this is why I need to be surrounded by experts, because <laughs> yeah. I couldn't find my way. <laughs>
otherwise. Yeah. Okay. So I think those are really good uh, things that you gave though for ideas of when to be looking for inclusion. Um, we had a question that came in that somebody said, if you have time after answering parents' important questions, and I appreciate that you oh, were sweet. asking for that first, can you answer my question? How is the BACB program, and they wrote on BIT, but I think you mean IBT, IBT. Uh, how does it work? Well, IBT right now has a whole bunch of uh, courses that are just based on our own training, cards training. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're not for, for to get a, a BAC to get a BCBA or Board Certified Behavior Analyst to get that credential. Uh, you need to the BACB is the is the board. It's the Behavior Analysis. Um, certification board BACB and they have a series of courses that you need to take at university level um, and these are if you're getting the BCABA credential it's, it's bachelor's level courses if you're getting the BCBA it's master's level courses and these are like I think four courses now I'm not sure maybe they're they've added maybe it's five but there's a series of actual courses university courses at card we have contracts with University of Nevada Reno and um, um, uh, University yeah, of uh, Florida, 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 yeah, Tech Institute or, uh, of Technology or something uh, along those lines. Yeah, something. I'm horrible with university <laughs> names. Uh, uh, Florida Institute of Technology (FIT) and their wonderful program there and uh, Dr. Martinez if you're listening I did not forget the name of the <laughs> university right now it's still early in the morning MIT, yeah. and um, a lot of our kids a lot of our therapists or uh, super therapists in training supervisors in training go there card uh, pays for that if you're an employee at card we pay for that and essentially we support you through school and when you're in when you finish those courses then you need uh, well, or during the courses as well, you need a huge number of mentorship and supervision hours. I, I don't even know. I think it's 1,500 hours. That was the something. number that popped in my head. Right. It's kind of like a, a, a partial uh, pre-doctoral internship that you do when you get licensed as well. So I think you need about 1,500 hours or something and 750 hours of supervision. I'm not sure. There's a bunch of these requirements. IBT provides all that. Okay. Now, there was a recent regulation that said that for someone to supervise other BCBAs, you need a whole new credential. Our staff have that, so the IBT staff have that. That's why now they're doing a lot of trainings um, across the country. Yes. And if you attend their training, you are receiving some of those hours that you need towards your supervision or mentorship. Um, and I think that's the best I can do. I would really suggest that you contact IBT. They'll tell you yeah. all about this. We, uh, we've been trying to book, we're, we're going to have Catherine Peterson come on at some point mm. to talk about all these things. She's a very busy lady though. So we're trying to make it work with her schedule to have her come yeah. on and talk about all these yeah. things. Or and, Cecilia next time. I mean, who's okay. the director? Yes. Okay. Uh, Cecilia. And she's busy times 12, but we'll try to get she one of them some, somehow uh, in on the show to talk about. Next time they do a, a training for supervisors here, I would see who has an hour. Okay. We will, we will make that happen. Uh, we should take a break, but if you don't mind, I'm going to plow on ahead oh, and ask questions. Right okay. Uh, somebody wants to know, have you ever seen kids recover with just ABA and no biomedical treatment whatsoever? Yeah, I'd say that's probably about two-thirds of our kids who recover okay. have no biomedical treatment at all. Okay. In fact, you know, if you go back in time, my kids who are now in their 20s and 30s uh, didn't have any biomedical interventions okay. because they didn't exist back then. Good to know. So we start, when I started treating kids in like 78, 79 at UCLA, 
and then of course through card at 90 1990 there was no biomedical at all in fact the period between 90 and 95 i started gathering data because i was such a strong believer that there is some thing going wrong with our kids biochemically mm -hmm. and I started to and it's funny Shannon because sometimes I you know you're very kind and you always say you see that to me that I think of you things in the future you do. so back in 1990 and you have to realize the Dan organization came into place in 95 mm -hmm. right five years later but in 1990 when I first opened card and I was designing writing out the questionnaires for parents to fill out mm -hmm. sort of the forms it's the same form that we still have and it has questions like uh, has your child had vaccinations yeah. were there any reactions has your child had ear infections mm -hmm. and how many times has your child been given antibiotics yeah. and all that sort of stuff and I was really I wasn't um, educated enough back then to know how you know taking too many antibiotics will kill flora will mm -hmm. uh, produce sort of fungal infections and wreak havoc in your gut mm -hmm. but of course I learned that very very early on through yeah. my dear friend Bernie Rimland um, and uh, it, it's interesting that I was seeing that with my kids and so I'm not sure how I got into this what was I saying all because this? the question was about uh, have you ever seen kids recover right. from just ABA exactly so my kids that where I treated them you know like Nick um, he was in the very early 90s and we weren't doing any kind of intervention then mm -hmm. um, or you look at some of my other kids that are coming right now any, any kind of biomedical intervention. I mean, I think I connected with the Dan group. Of course, I know Bernie for a very long time, but, and he put together the 95 Dan group, which didn't work out very well in the 96 or seven, John Pangborn and Sid Baker and Bernie together really officially formed the Dan group. And uh, they invited more doctors. And I think it really started to take off closer to like 95, uh, 97, eight or so. Mm -hmm. and. I was involved with them from, I th really involved in speaking at their conferences and so on from 2000 on and I miss Bernie so much and, um, and unfortunately that organization is no longer in place but it is now, you know, his organization, the Autism Research Institute has more or less taken its place but physician training isn't part of what they do anymore but right. now there's the MAPS training which is also very good yeah. um, but anyway the you know a lot of kids never received biomedical interventions now having said that um, the world has changed the toxicity levels have gone significantly up so back in the 90s we may not have had we didn't have plastic Okay, so we did not have, back in the 90s, Shannon, if you remember, of we were not walking around with plastic bottles. Right. Everything was glass. Um, we, or and you drank water out of the faucet. You drank water out of the faucet. You did not have all these issues the BP, with toxicity, the BPA, yeah. right? And our animals were way healthier. And it was just the beginning, I think it was mid-90s, I'm not sure of the exact date, but it was just the beginning of genetically modified foods. So now, 25, 30 years later, 
our water is bad, we drink everything, we eat everything out of plastic, mm -hmm. um, we microwave plastic, we leave it in heat, whatever. Um, all our food is, like 80% of our food is genetically modified. Mm -hmm. This is why now you see on regular TV uh, ads for probiotics. Yes. I mean, good Lord, it cracks me up when I see these ads for uh, probiotics. It's like we destroy ourselves. Ah. You know, let's take out all the healthy bacteria. Let's make sure no one gets healthy bacteria. So we're all pretty messed up. And now let's, uh, um, you know, produce pharmaceuticals for A this. whole new industry. And, oh yeah, and, it's pretty uh, fascinating. Acidophilus and bio and, right. and all those. So uh, you know, so therefore, I'm not sure that I would recommend that you don't. I always, what I do is I always ask, tell my parents to just make sure your child is healthy. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Uh, if your child is sleeping well and has a normal blood test and uh, isn't, you know, all those, isn't having, showing signs like rashes or fungal infections or that sort of stuff, you're fine. Go on with the teaching, which is the ABA. Okay. Uh, I have a question about schizophrenia. Can you have schizophrenia and autism? What is the difference? Mm. No, I mean, officially by the book, you're not allowed to have both at the same time. You can't. It's uh, contraindicated. It's like having a virus and a bacteria. The difference, the key difference, and this is a good one, is pretty much uh, in schizophrenia, you have hallucinations and delusions. Okay. And in autism, you don't. Okay. Hallucinations are what you hear. Delusions are what you see, and they are imaginary. So if you imagine people telling you things, um, or if you imagine seeing things that are not real, that's more in the realm of schizophrenia. With autism, or now ASD, Autism right. Spectrum Disorders, it's not really those types of things. It's more basic... Mm, the processing of the brain is more or less delayed and not necessarily aberrant. Okay. So it doesn't go into a whole realm of, you know, abnormality. It just goes into delay. And so your child's not learning language the way they should. They're not learning social skills. They're not giving eye contact. They're, they're delayed on certain skills. And once you're delayed on certain skills, your overall behavior looks strange or aberrant, but it's not really as abnormal as having hallucinations or delusions. Okay, so if a child has been diagnosed with autism, later on, if they start having delusions, then they, their diagnosis of autism would go away and then they would have schizophrenia? Correct. And was it that they always had schizophrenia or? P possibly. Okay. Now you have to understand that we don't know enough about, well, both of these diagnoses are not good. Right. So ASD, of course, is a brand new diagnosis that just came out. And before that, the autism diagnosis has been in place for many years, yeah. okay, so almost 20 years. So that's, you know, pretty solid there. But we always had problems with it. Yeah. Like it's a diagnosis that's based on symptoms is not necessarily the best diagnosis based rather than based on etiology causation. Schizophrenia back in, I want to try to remember when this was, I think the DSM-3, you had a separate category that said, um, uh, childhood schizophrenia. Oh. So schizophrenia that could be diagnosed for children. And then I think they took it out in, 
I know for sure it wasn't in the 94 DSM. I'm, I'm thinking it was even out of the DSM-3 R. Okay. So it could have been even earlier than 94, but it was removed. It could have been 90. I think it was removed 90. I'm not sure because I've gone through so many DSM diagnostic sure. manuals. So uh, it was removed, which basically said you can't really diagnose kids uh, with schizophrenia. But then, you know, after the 94 change, it essentially said, okay, you know, it's a possibility that there are children who have this. Uh, it's a very, very minimal number because schizophrenia usually will develop uh, 18 and up. Okay. So um, that's sort of the kind of, you know, the mixture. But if you're looking at schizophrenia, once you get a diagnosis of schizophrenia, you would most likely be an adolescent or later. And, you know, the behavior, the involve, the things that go into having hallucinations and delusions are so profound and so um, they take over your life so significantly that medication is an absolute need. Okay. You cannot avoid medication when you're hallucinating, okay. period. So, um, you know, it just, it becomes like a whole different issue. It's kind of like you now need to deal with keeping hallucinations and delusions under control um, there is no mental retardation association with schizophrenia. Okay. There is a delay. See, mental retardation is right. just a mental delay, right? right? And delays are more associated with autism. Okay. Aberrance behaviors are more associated with schizophrenia. I okay. hope that answers the question. No, that absolutely does. Thank you for clarifying that. I've always wondered that. And then, do we have time, Emily, for one more? Okay, uh, one more that came in on Facebook. Is there anything besides melatonin that will help a child sleep? My son keeps waking up at 11.30 p.m. and staying up all night and day until 5, and the cycle starts again. Mm, and I know you've start. talked about this a little bit before, but um, yeah, this is a new question. Yeah, so the problem with melatonin on its own is that it often does this. It, like, messes up the child's cycle. First of all, if your child's not sleeping, I would really keep them up uh, you know, when they're not supposed to be asleep. Like if they're asleep, don't let them sleep during the day. Like very important. But I found that melatonin works better with, when it's combined with tryptophan. Okay. And that's why I love this. You got me some of that. Did it's you ever try stuff. it? Yes, it's great stuff. Doesn't it work? It's it amazing, fabulous. right? Yes. You just can't do it more than three nights. If you do it more than three nights in a row, you need a night off, Yeah. you know? So that stuff is called Tranquil Sleep, yes. and it's on, you get it from Amazon, you can okay. order it anywhere, and it's really good, it's a chewable tablet, yeah. three milligrams, so it's easy, you can break it for one and a half, you can take two, whatever, and uh, it's a combination of theanine with 5-HTP, which is tryptophan and melatonin, and it makes it so much more effective. It may still wake you, you, you might still wake up six hours later or so, but you'll have more energy. It will make you sleepy. Okay. Now, having said that, melatonin or any of these types of things, kind of natural things, you really do need to calm the environment as well. You can you can force yourself to stay awake even if you've taken melatonin. But um, so it's important for the family to make everything dark, quiet, etc. Okay. And of course, there's a billion sleeping pills that you know that are out there. I don't really recommend them, yeah. but 
sometimes another thing that Benadryl will tend to help our kids yeah. sleep. I know some of my kids take Benadryl and that's pretty effective for them okay. and pretty harmless too. Okay. And, and Emily, I have to squeeze one more in because I promised. How can I get through uh, my 16 year old with Asperger's that finishing high school is the right thing to do? He's adamant about not going back. He thinks it's a waste of time and he's not going to apply himself. I offered him the choice to homeschool. He still refuses to do that. All he wants to do is draw and write and to hopefully get published. Please advise. Thank you. That's a tough one. You essentially, I guess what you have to do is you have to connect what's meaningful to him, mm -hmm. uh, for him to what you want him to do. So you want him to go to high school, he wants to write. I think what you need to do is make him realize that the, you know, the likelihood of getting published is much less if he doesn't have a high school degree mm -hmm. and perhaps you want to take his favorite authors and show him that they all have college degrees yeah. um, and or perhaps another more rudimentary way to handle this is just make a deal with him yeah. in other words um, do one year of high school and I'll give you money and with that money you can go and take a writing course yeah um, or, or self-publish or, self or something like that yeah or yeah exactly so it's really just establishing his main reinforcer is writing, I suppose, and his uh, your main wish is for him to go to college. Um, so the two things I would do is make sure that he realizes all of his models are are um, or educated. Is it college or high school? High school. High school educated at least. And um, the second thing is to just increase the reward level and you know having said that it's not a reward is no longer a reward if it's free all the time yeah so it's hard to take away writing because that's an ability he has um, but perhaps I'm not even sure how good his writing is if his writing is not all that good perhaps you try to find a coach a writing coach mm -hmm. who tells him go back to college because go back to school, school because your grammar is off or your writing is right. not good or whatever it is how about this we'll, we'll add to the pile here at autism live if he gets his diploma we'll feature we'll do an interview with him talking about his book that he's there writing you go. here there you go so we'll throw that into the mix that would be awesome yeah. that's, <laughs> that's know? exactly the type of thing you need something that's meaningful to him yeah and I don't know that that would be, but let's let's look yeah, that or out take him see. on a trip if he graduates, yeah. or find the reinforcer that's powerful enough that you're willing to give him if he graduates.